You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Technorati founder and CEO David Sifri goes on the record online. I think first off, the real question is, so how does the advertising actually occur, right? So in some cases, it's product placement directly inside of the podcast itself. In some cases, it's what we call pre-roll or post-roll advertising, where in effect, before the show starts, which is pre-roll, or post-roll, which is after the show ends, there is a, you know, a 30-second spot or a 10-second spot. And thank you for joining us for another episode of On the Record Online, the podcast that brings you the story behind the story. Now, if this is your first time listening to the show, thanks for downloading this episode. Uh, and I'll tell you a little bit about what this podcast is about. Uh, we do in-depth interviews with journalists from the mainstream media, but we also do from time to time podcasters, bloggers, newsmakers, uh, people in business, and we talk to them about how technology is changing and threatening to disrupt the mainstream media business as we know it. Uh, I'm your host, Eric Schwartzman. I'm the founder and chairman of iPressroom Corporation. A um, little bit about us. We are a web-hosted solution. Uh, it's a tool that you log into over the Internet, and you use it to manage your website, um, manage the content on your website, uh, manage podcast centers, uh, manage email marketing campaigns, uh, pretty much uh, all the stuff we talk about. You can search engine optimize uh, your, your, your content. You can uh, distribute content via RSS. Uh, it's all built in, so rather than having to you know, piece together or cobble together a bunch of um, freeware solutions, uh, this is a supported solution, and it's hosted, and we also provide services on top of it. And I'm also personally and professionally fascinated at uh, this revolution uh, going on in conversational marketing and uh, uh, what uh, we're going to hear today uh, called um, uh, the Participant uh, Revolution, I think uh, that's what he called it. We're going to hear from David Sifri. He's the founder and CEO of Technorati. Uh, which is a real-time search engine that keeps track of what's going on in the blogosphere. Uh, he calls himself a serial entrepreneur with more than 19 years of software development experience. Uh, before uh, that, he was CTO of Sputnik, which is a Wi-Fi gateway company. Uh, before that, he was with Linux Care, which he co-founded and served as CTO and VP Engineering. He was also a founding member of the board of Linux International, and was on the Tech Advisory Board for uh, the National Cybercrime Training Partnership for Law Enforcement. And uh, many of you who uh, do the, the, the seminar and conference circuit know that he is frequently on panels and lectures on a variety of technology issues, uh, ranging from wireless spectrum policy and Wi-Fi to weblogs and open source software. I'm thrilled to have him for this podcast uh, about podcast measurement. Now, those of you who know Technorati, you know, it's not a podcast measurement service. It's a service that you use to search blogs or, more accurately, to search RSS. Um, but, you know, I figured uh, this is a guy on the inside of measurement, uh, on the inside of, of, of much of what's happening uh, in the um, new media revolution. And so 
I was very happy to get him. And I think a lot of what he has to say about RSS measurement is relevant to podcasters as well. And he also is quite articulate and shares some pretty big ideas. So I hope you have a chance to listen to the whole podcast. It's around, I think, just under 30 minutes. And, um, and I am going to play it for you uh, after I play my ad. But before I play my ad, uh, just one date I want to plug. I'm going to be uh, doing a, a panel, actually not a panel. I'm going to be doing a session on, uh, let me read the title, Integrating Podcasts into the Marketing Mix, Building a Business Case and Demonstrating Value. Uh, it's part of the Corporate Podcasting Track at Podcast Expo. Uh, it's going to be um, on the 20... You know, it's so terrible when you look at these conference websites because they put the date at the top of the page and then you got to scroll down and they have all these things listed on that day but not the day listed over and over again, which I don't know if that would be the best way to do it, but uh, that's why I'm scrolling. Uh, my, my, my session is Friday, September 29th, uh, and it is going to be in Ballroom C at... 11:45. So if you're planning to go to the Podcast Expo, I hope you'll come by and check out my panel. And if you want information on Podcast Expo, go to podcastexpo.com. And now I'd like you to listen to this charming advertisement um, that advertises uh, our company, which pays for this podcast. And then we'll come back and we'll listen to the unedited interview uh, with uh, David Siffrey, where he'll say that the type of ad that we're doing is not a good, not the good way to do it. He's probably right, by the way. Um, more after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from my press room. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom, tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. David Siffrey, thanks so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now, tell us, how many people visit Technorati in a day? Uh, that's, there's actually quite a few. We don't actually make public that information, but it's lots and lots of people. So you, you don't, you don't, you don't disclose any, I mean, can you give us, can you tell us how it's grown maybe recently? It's grown pretty significantly. Um, we, uh, are still seeing over, uh, uh, well over 10% growth. And actually last month we had about 25% growth month on month. Uh, so it's been pretty consistently seeing double-digit growth uh, every month for about the last uh, 18, 19 months so, in a row. So one of the things we hear so frequently from marketers is you know, the question, okay, great, so there's a lot of people reading your RSS, but, but who are they? Um, mm -hmm. Do you have a sense of who the people are that use Technorati? We have some idea. Uh, we've uh, we've done a number of studies, uh, and we've also looked at uh, some of the uh, the other folks out there who measure websites like uh, Comscore and Nielsen Net Ratings and the like. Uh, and what we seem to find is that uh, they tend to be a, um, a a slightly younger demographic than the average. 
Uh, they also tend to be a bit more male than female, although it's about 60-40. So uh, that was actually a bit of a surprise. We thought that uh, there was actually going to be a more slightly more significantly tinting male, uh, but that wasn't the case. It's actually about 60-40 male-female. And uh, it tends to be uh, people who ha are more highly educated, uh, so uh, a much more significant number of people who have college uh, and postgraduate degrees than the, uh, uh, than the national average, as well as people who tend to make a lot more money than, uh, than the average folks uh, in the United States and, and uh, on the Internet. I mean, I've got to think that, and you guys, you sell advertising, so I've mm -hmm. got to think you've got advertisers asking you some pretty specific questions you know, after you give that response, um, how are you, is there a way that you can actually slice and dice the, uh, the recipients a little bit more selectively, or is there a way that you can perhaps serve up a, an ad inside of a query more selectively? Uh, so what we find is that most of the advertisers who come to us are looking for a couple of things. So number one is they're looking for being able to reach the folks who are influential in the communities that they care about. And the fact that uh, a lot of the people who come to Technorati today are bloggers uh, is certainly something that, uh, that they're very interested in. Uh, they care about being able to reach folks who are going to be able to, you know, influence others in terms of making, helping them to make some of their choices. Um, and in addition, we've had a number of advertisers who are you know, quite interested in advertising around various keywords or various topics and areas and so on. And so we're able to, uh, to make that kind of uh, uh, search-based advertising available for them as well. So on the other side of the fence now, for, for a publisher, for someone that has a feed, uh, how, walk us through just you know, from square one. You've got a feed. How do you get people to subscribe to it? Well, I think the first aspect to it is uh, creating and making sure that your feed is valid. Um, so you can run it through. There's a, a number of different uh, RSS validators that are out there, but uh, there's, a, there's a couple that seem to be most well used. And just making sure that your feed is valid will mean that it will show up and run correctly on any of the different RSS readers that are out there, whether it's blog lines, whether it's uh, NetNewsWire or NewsGator or what have you, um, having, having a valid feed is pretty important. And, and which uh, are the best and you'd, you'd actually validators. be pretty surprised at how many, different, how many different feeds don't validate. I'm sorry? Which are the best ones? You said there were two that are the best ones. Well, there's one that was put, I, I don't have the, uh, the URL handy, but there was one that was put together by uh, Dave Weiner, which, uh, which is quite good. And there's another one that was put together uh, by Sam Ruby and Mark Pilgrim and a number of other people uh, that's also quite good. Uh, and, um, you know, you can just get the URLs for those. Just, you know, you can Google for RSS validator uh, and you'd be able to find them. Okay, and I cut you off. You were going to talk about some other um, way that you would get people to subscribe to your RSS. Well, I mean, you know, the start is make sure that your RSS is valid. Um, and the second thing that you would do is make sure that the auto-discovery link in your blog or on your site is set up correctly. 
So there is a, um, a link element that goes into the head portion of your HTML, and I know that sounds pretty techno-geeky. Um, if, you if you're not the kind of person who understands what I just said there, then you just need to find somebody who can make sure that the auto-discovery link is, is turned on. You can also just look for RSS auto-discovery, and there are a number of different tutorials that will show you how to make sure that your blog or your site has that special piece of HTML code embedded in the right place. What this means is that if somebody is using Safari or uh, Mozilla Firefox or they're using IE7, that the RSS feed will automatically be discovered by the web browser so that you can much more easily subscribe to it. And what else? I mean, and it also means that you don't have to worry about Pardon me. And once the technology is in place, let's say you know you've got the the feed validates and uh, and and the link is is correct the way it's uh, featured on the website, then what? I mean, how, how do you get people to take note? Yep. So I think that the next step you have to ask yourself is, what's the purpose of the feed? So if the or or what's the purpose of your site? Um, because there are two different types of. Uh, RSS feeds, uh, and by the way, when I say RSS, I'm talking about a more generalized view of feeds. I mean, Adam is a perfectly valid way that some people do this as well, and, and I'm, I don't mean to get too technical about it. The, the point, though, is simply <clears throat> you can choose how you want people to consume your site. And there are two you know, valid but very different methodologies here. The, the first is, do you want to have full text in your feeds or not? Uh, and if you if you want to have full text, there are some very real advantages. It actually is, in general, a much more pleasant user experience for the average reader who wants to be able to perhaps download all of their RSS content in one go, and they can read the entire contents of your articles. Uh, they may want to be able to, you know, see the the, uh, the pictures and you know any other multimedia presentations that you put in. Uh, and so, you know, making sure that the full text is there is a terrific way for them to get your stuff on the go and sort of stay fully connected to your website. But, you know, it also means that probably some things like advertising and, you know, getting people to click through to actually go to the website itself uh, won't happen nearly as much. So there are many mainstream media companies, so for example, the New York Times, who only put together a partial RSS feed. And you know, the idea there is, well, the revenue model that these guys make money on is getting people to click through to the actual article itself and then see the advertisements that are you know, viewed in an HTML viewer. Um, now, there are uh, perfectly good advantages and disadvantages to both systems. I think it really just comes down to what do you as a publisher really want. Right? If you, what you're trying to do is you know, make money, or maybe not, not even make money, you just want to be able to get your ideas more public and more published out there, then you know, going the full feed RSS feed is really the way to go. Um, or perhaps you're making money via a different way, like via e-commerce, and in that case, People are going to have to click on a link where they go and buy something, uh, whether it's you know on eBay or Amazon or, or what have you, uh, in order for you to make your money. So it doesn't really matter how they get your content as long as they click through on those links. But if you're making money from advertising, you're then faced with another dilemma, which is, so do I put ads in my RSS feeds or not? And again, I, I think that um, 
if you've decided that the primary way that you're that you make money is by getting people to go to your website, then you probably will want to put partial RSS feeds and understand that there are going to be some people who are going to be annoyed by it and may not have that same sense of loyalty, but you know, you've it's served its purpose, which is that of being a teaser. Um, if not, and you actually want to make your RSS feed a fully functional you know, advertising-based medium, there's a whole set of additional factors that come into play, like how can you actually determine whether or not someone has actually seen the advertising, um, you know, depending on what reader they use and all sorts of things. So there's, a whole, there's a whole set of technology issues that are still unresolved uh, around uh, doing advertising inside of those RSS feeds. But you know, there are a number of companies that are out there that can help you. Um, so one of them, for example, is FeedBurner, a um, bunch of guys who I know very well and I highly recommend. And um, what you can do is you can actually have them handle all of that complexity for you. So you would output your RSS feed in a normal way, but then you would what's called burn your feed with the folks at FeedBurner, and then provide the FeedBurner-based feed to your readers. And the FeedBurner folks can help you by you know, putting in advertising or helping to track uh, the number of readers that you have, the number of subscribers that you have, and so on, and give you some pretty interesting reports that otherwise would be a bit more difficult to do technically. So now, David, let's say that tomorrow uh, Yahoo buys you for a gazillion dollars, and uh, you're, you're rich, and you, you, you leave Technorati, and someone figures out how to hire you to be their head of marketing, and, uh, and that your first job is to advertise in podcasts. What are the measurements you're going to want to check to decide mm -hmm. which podcasts to advertise in? Um, well, that's a great question. Um, I think first off, the real question is, so how does the advertising actually occur? Right? So in some cases, it's product placement directly inside of the podcast itself. In some cases, it's what we call pre-roll or post-roll advertising, where in effect, before the show starts, which is pre-roll, or post-roll, which is after the show ends, there is a 30-second you know, spot or a 10-second spot or you know, whatever that would be a more traditional commercial. Um, this, by the way, is, tends to be more popular with video than with audio. Um, you know, so the, uh, the folks over at uh, iFilm being a great example here of how they're using pre-roll video to be able to pay for you know, the storage and the display of the, the video that's going on on their site. Uh, Rever, if I recall correctly, is using post-roll where you, know, you can put a video up on the site and then the advertising will come on afterwards. But I know that there's a number of podcasts that are out there that are encouraging sponsorship and encouraging, in essence, product placement where the hosts are going to be then you know, talking about the products and saying how great they are or you know, talking about how they're using them in their everyday lives. Um, the metrics that I would use depend very much on, A, what is the type of advertising, B, then you really want to ask yourself, well, how many people are going to be listening to this? What are the demographics of the people who are listening or viewing the advertisement? How is the advertisement being placed? Is there any way of guaranteeing that, you know, for example, in a post-roll advertising situation, that they actually ended up listening to the entire show and then you know, watching or listening to the, the post-roll advertising? Um, 
what also is the metric uh, of delivery. So <clears throat> sometimes it's, you know, how do I get people to click on a link? Or how do I get people to fill out a form, right? And that's called CPA advertising, which is, you know, cost per action advertising. Um, and sometimes it's just, hey, I want to get exposure of my brand. Uh, and I want you know, people to just know that there's this great product that's out there and you know, that they should come to the site or go look for it in their favorite store. And, th and that would be more of a traditional CPM-based advertising or impression-based advertising. Um, and I think the core of this is I'd be looking for podcasters and video bloggers who have some way you know, of being able to uh, uh, adequately help the advertiser understand how effective their advertising was for the money that they spent. And I think that's absolutely the core of all online advertising and why it has been uh, a very efficient medium. So, so given that that's the case, how can, uh, how can we get more information about the behavior of people that subscribe to a particular feed? Well, it's actually a pretty difficult thing to do, uh, and I think this is one of the areas that has held back RSS-based advertising, less so on the pre-roll or post-roll type video advertising because there are, some, there are actually some ways of determining that, in fact, you know, the video played. But uh, you know, in particular, uh, around putting advertising in RSS feeds, uh, it's still it's still a somewhat wild west attitude out there. There there are I think some very very good companies that are trying to solve those problems, but in my in my opinion, it hasn't quite yet been made safe for advertisers yet. So one of the things we see is if you look at the different uh, aggregators of podcasts who publish um, popular podcast lists. There are huge discrepancies between which, the most, which are the most popular podcasts. And I, I was looking over actually today before we spoke um, on iTunes. Uh, the tops were Onion Radio News, MuggleCast, um, French Podcast, Ask a Ninja. On Podcast Alley, it was Keith and the Girl, MuggleCast, Free Talk, and Nobody Likes Onions. And then on Podcast Pickle, it was Anime Plus, Seven Sun Podcast, Anime World Over, Weekly Anime Review. I mean, why is it that that there that there are these huge discrepancies between which are the most popular podcasts? And is there some way that you perhaps might, in the future, be able to give us um, a more standardized metric with respect to popularity? Um, I, I'm I'm actually going to have to slightly beg ignorance here. Um, the the best that I understand is that all of these different um, sort of popular lists are based around the ideas of how many people are subscribing to those podcasts or in the iTunes in the iTunes uh, world it's just how many people have clicked on and have listened to that podcast not necessarily subscribed and I think that there's still an enormous amount of variance both in terms of the number of people who are going to those podcast aggregator sites as opposed to the people who are you know subscribed independently uh, because they go to askaninja.com and just subscribe, uh, and you know it's very hard for the uh, the different uh, sites to be able to get an accurate an accurate count of how many subscribers someone has. Um, so, to be perfectly frank, I think that there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of 
gauging podcast metrics that uh you know that that uh, hasn't quite fi- that hasn't quite been finished yet now i'll admit to the fact that i'm somewhat ignorant on you know all of the latest happenings that are going on there so there may actually be some changes or standards that are you know that are coming out in this space that i haven't been on top of because you know kind of been really busy running a business um but to date i don't know of any uh really clear uniform way of being able to judge some of these metrics. If online marketing is about participating in a conversation, then what sorts of qualitative metrics do you think uh, marketers and, and, and advertisers should be looking at? Well, I mean, part of it is they're, they're looking for, you know, A, how many people are, you know, listening or have, you know, seen the the particular message that they're trying to get across but you know w- what i find much more interesting and you know that's that's all sort of advertising 1 1.0 what i find much more interesting is you know the people who are actually trying to get into conversations and encourage feedback both from the blogosphere uh and from you know other fo- other forms of media so um you know i think that this idea of being able to look at, you know, the number of comments that people are making, the number of blog posts that people are using to link to things, the amount of, uh, you know, conversation that's going on in the blogosphere about the particular topic area or message that they're trying to get across is certainly a good idea judging buzz. Now, the second half of this is, well, how do you turn that into a conversation? And I think that that really comes down to the marketer having a very, very open view of, you know, I'm going to take criticism and feedback. And sometimes people are going to say nasty things or they're going to say things that I don't want to hear. So how open am I to actually encouraging and inviting the kind of controversy that I'll get if I'm truly conversational? And uh, I think that there's some marketers out there that are just starting to crack the door on that. But the more real and the more authentic and the more human that they are, right, actually putting a real human being uh, in front of the world and saying, hey, look, here's who we are. This is, you know, we're trying to be transparent. Uh, I look at, for example, say what Hugh McLeod and, and the folks over at Stormhook are doing as a terrific example of great conversational marketing where, you know, he was pretty straightforward and he said, hey, look, you know, uh, these guys at Stormhook hired me to, you know, come and talk about the wine and, you know, I want to tell you why it's a great thing. And uh, by the way, if you guys are throwing a party and you actually want to get some, you know, here's how you do it. And um, starting a conversation and encouraging people to say, hey, look, all we're going to ask you is, you know, if you didn't like the wine, blog about it. If you liked about the wine, if you liked the wine, blog about it. You know, let us know. Rather than asking, you know, or, or trying to proscribe a particular course where the conversation is going to go, um, to just encourage the, the knowledge and the conversation about it so that, in fact, you can improve uh, is – is exactly the right kind of attitude that, a, you know, from a qualitative perspective, uh, a marketer can really expect to get. I mean, I'll tell you that for me personally, and, and you know, having, having kind of built Technorati uh, as a tool to help me understand what's going on in the blogosphere, 
um, and then being open and talking about, you know, who we are and when we screw up, you know, apologizing for it as quickly as we can and hopefully, you know, moving on and, and making things better. But, you know, the best stuff, the most interesting commentary, feedback, and suggestions that we got were the negative ones. When people are telling us, you know, that everything is great and they love us, I mean, that's nice and it's very flattering, but, you know, what I, where, where I really get value is when people say, smack me over the head and say, hey, Dave, uh, you guys are screwing this thing up, or, you know, we, I really was expecting this out of you, and, and I'm not getting it, or, gosh, I really wish I had this feature. And that, to me, is just so much proof of the fact that the smartest people in the world don't work for us. And, the, and, and, and to be able to, I'll give you an example. We, when we rolled out uh, a revision of our website in the beginning of last year, one of the world's leading web designers sat down and did an analysis of all the things that we did wrong on our homepage, like why it was totally screwed up. And I looked at that, and I mean, it was biting. I mean, it was just, there were some parts of it that were just harsh. But I recognize that this was a guy that even if I had paid him $20,000, you know, I probably never would have been able to get his time to give us that kind of a critique. And to be able to have that, and we immediately took it and, you know, and, and changed things around so that we could make our site better and more usable for people. Um, but to be able to get that kind of feedback, even though it was negative and it was caustic and it was harsh in many ways, was in some ways the most valuable feedback that we could have possibly gotten. And so we, we really try to encourage that. I want to backtrack for a second on this notion of a full text feed versus a partial text feed. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- what is your feeling on the notion of um, inserting advertising into the feed as perhaps a partial text item? Do you feel that uh, that could ultimately, you know, diminish the value of RSS much as uh, email has now become a pretty difficult way to actually uh, make sure that you're, you're getting heard from and, and that, you're be, that you're receiving the messages of your friends, particularly if you're somebody in PR, you know, like me or like many of the listeners of this program whose email addresses are on press releases that have been aggregated mm-hmm. on countless sites. And we need to be available to the media, but then at the same time, you know, we need to be able to see a valid request from the media and, and discern it from, you know, all the spam that's coming through. So, um, I mean, I think there are two parts to that question, um, and, and maybe I'll, I'll start with the first part, which was about advertising and feeds. I've got to be honest with you and say I have yet to have found a, a really good way of incorporating advertising into standard RSS feeds that really works for the user. And, and I mean, I'm not saying that it's impossible to do, and I know that there's just an enormous amount of creativity and effort that's going on out there um, you know, to do this and to, you know, to, to help monetize RSS. Uh, just me personally, I, I, I'm still waiting for, to find out the right way. I haven't seen it. Um, there is, you know, you can put you can put the advertising as a separate item. You can put the advertising as, you know, I- into the item itself. You can. I, I just haven't yet seen it really work. What I have seen work enormously well is RSS as a mechanism of creating a relationship with your users. And when you recognize that 
the relationship is actually in many ways more important than any kind of direct monetization that you might be able to get by putting ads in the feeds. The fact that they're paying attention and that they're in, a, in essence coming back and learning more about what it is that you do and what you deliver and you know, doing it in such a way that they're actually subscribed to your information, that to me is the true power of RSS. That it's actually about building a relationship with as many people as possible and that you know, delivering additional value to them because that relationship exists is where I see an enormous amount of, uh, of, of power and, and sort of I mean, you know, win-win to kind of use the business expression for it, right? I mean, I, 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 I'm not totally dismissive of advertising in RSS. I just have yet to have seen a way where it really works. And, and I'm really looking forward to you know, the, the cracking of that nut. But I think in the meantime, people are too quick to dismiss the power of having that relationship with the subscriber and being able to use that to, you know, to deliver a much more rich experience to them. Because I think the thing that is the most scarce and the thing that we so often forget in a very short-term e-commerce oriented world is people's time is the thing that is most scarce. And if you can actually get a little bit of their time and you can deliver something of value to them during that time, then the opportunities to be able to, you know, to deliver something of real value to those people have just gone through the roof. And it's much more of a relationship builder than it is just a simple transactional element. So final question here. Um, you know, you're sort of in the driver's seat. You've got this RSS search engine. It's, you know, no, it's thought to be, you know, the biggest and the best by many people. Thank you. Um, where are we headed, David? I mean, uh, who, who's, who's the uh, acquisition candidate for a company like you? Is it Yahoo? Is it Microsoft? <laughs> or is it Nielsen? Or is it Arbitron? I mean, and, and is, is Nielsen and Arbitron's metrics going to become less valid as services like yours and FeedBurner and, and uh, uh, I guess BuzzMetrics? Well, that was one play that they made already. I mean, wh where are we headed? Where do you see measurement headed? And where do you see... Technorati had it. Well, I'll tell you, I, I, my, my perspective on this is I'm just here to build a great business, period. And if we can continue to consistently show value and be able to help people understand what's going on the web right now, what are the things that they care about, um, and give them information that they want right away that they can't get from anywhere else, that's inherently of value, and we're going to be able to build a really strong, very profitable company out of that. Um, comes along and wants to do something outrageous, well then, you know, all bets are off. But I think that there is still so much opportunity here, and we're very, very much at the beginning of this that we still haven't fully defined how the metrics work in terms of being able to show return on investment, whether it's to an advertiser, or to a marketer, um, to a PR person and the like. And I think what we're going to see is 
the deprecation and elimination of the thing that until now we have called the consumer culture. And that this whole idea of the producer and the consumer, that there's some sort of dichotomy where the producer has the power and, you know, they are the ones who are, whether it's producing content that, you know, you shall consume or whether it's just, you know, producing the, uh, um, the media that, uh, that you are then passively consuming, producing the products that you have no ability to participate with. Uh, and that you are consuming, that this is all fundamentally changing as more and more the power and the tools for people to become creators as well as consumers um, has really gone and become much, much easier and simpler. And so I think what we're going to see in the next, say, five to ten years is much more of a rise of what I call the participant culture where it's not just about produce, uh, some false dichotomy of producers and consumers, but instead one where we are both producer and consumer, and in fact we're participating in the creation of the products that we ourselves want, and in some cases we're sharing in the, you know, in the profits from that participation as well. Um, and I think that this kind of uh, encouragement of creativity and you know elimination of barriers right look at all of this user generated video and podcasting that is you know that has been become unleashed when we took away the fact that you needed to have hundreds of millions of dollars and own tremendous amounts of spectrum in order to become a broadcaster and that anyone can subscribe to, you know, whether it's gardening or it's, you know, Ask a Ninja or it's, you know, the latest cool video that's up on YouTube that we can entertain ourselves as effectively as just, you know, allowing the big broadcast networks to, uh, uh, to entertain us. And it doesn't mean the elimination of, you know, the traditional movie industry or the gaming industry or the broadcast media industry. But what I think will happen is it will be a transformation where, you know, the rise of the amateur, right, the person who does it for the love of it, you know, becomes as opportunistic as or, or gains as much uh, um, potential to, to have an audience and to, you know, and to create uh, – uh, you know things that are as interesting as what you would see on broadcast television, or on you know, or in the movies. And and I think that that to me start is where things start to get really exciting. Which is then, in a world where you've got 50 million producers out there, how do you make sense out of all of that? How do you find just the best stuff or the things that you really want for yourself in a world where, you know, even though the amount of media and the amount of amazingly good stuff out there is growing geometrically, my time doesn't really change. I still only have 24 hours a day. So how do I get the best stuff? How do I get that delivered to me? And how do I, uh, how can I, uh, um, you know, participate in creating uh, the the stuff that's out there and finding the communities of people uh, who are doing the stuff that I really want. And that, to me, is where it starts getting really exciting. Fascinating indeed. David Siffrey, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.